1: Lord, you are almighty, wise and strong, high and exalted. You are God. In the words of the psalmist, the Bible invites us to ask, to think about, to consider, who do we have in heaven other than you? And what on earth is there that we desire beside you? You are God. The things you give us here, the stuff of earth, is also a sweet, sweet pointer, a sweet reminder of your power and your wisdom, of your grace and your love for us. But it's just the stuff of earth. You are God. We're thankful for those things, but we want you. You're all that we have in heaven, you're all that we want on earth. Where we say that, the psalmist asks it rhetorically, but so often it's not exactly true of us. There's something else. There are other things we like, we want, we look for. Some of that's wise and some of it's not. Lord, help us to sort out the difference. Use this passage this morning to call us to something, to some place of sweeter, deeper communion with you. And maybe in, a, in an appropriate placing of the stuff of earth next to you, beneath you, enjoyed with you, but not instead of you. Help us, Lord, to sort out some of these things. And to each one of us, because of the nature of what you have for us this morning, because it's not cut and dry, crystal clear as to what it means for each person, will you speak to each person here and teach us? Show us what this means for each of us in our lives going forward, how you mean it to bless us and be good for us. So teach now, Lord, we pray, speak. You be the teacher, you be the guide. Rule your church for our good and for your glory. It's in Christ's name we ask, amen. What has been your history with fasting? And I don't mean not eating because of a toxin cleanse or you want to lose some weight or something. I mean like Christian fasting. How did your last fast go? Probably for most of us, the answer is what? (laughs) Christian fasting is not all that common which simultaneously is completely understandable and unfortunate it's understandable because there is not a lot in the bible about it very little in fact not much here and we're what we've likely seen of it in other i'll say religious circles has been often probably some mix of misguided and confusing and even unrighteous kind of off-putting and so we want to steer clear of that which It's understandable, but too bad, because fasting is also, done properly, Christian fasting is meant to be very helpful and very rewarding for us when done the right way. And that's what Jesus is going to point us towards in Matthew 6, verses 16 to 18. This is our, our passage, a very short one, still in the context of chapter 6, verse 1, where we saw Jesus raise the issue of righteous things done wrongly done hypocritically as some take good and right activities righteous acts and distort them so that what seems on, on the surface in fact is acted out as one way being towards God and worship and towards people in service is actually in fact about me it's not about worshiping and serving others it's about worshiping and serving myself other people who are not Jesus' followers do that consistently he's pointing it out And he's pointing it out because we could do the same. It's tempting to us. So Jesus warned us about that possibility in relation to giving and then with prayer and now this morning fasting. And so noticing that this is essentially the same issue that we've seen twice already. So it's going to have some similar takeaways. Some of this is going to be familiar ground. But it's also going to give us a chance to talk about fasting itself. It comes up again in Matthew chapter 9, so this isn't the last time we'll touch on it. But we'll go into it enough this morning to see not only what wrong fasting looks like, but also what proper fasting looks like and how it's possibly useful and maybe even useful for you. Perhaps something that you would want to incorporate as one of the spiritual disciplines that sets rhythm for your life. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Let me read verses 16 to 18, and then draw two observations from them. This is Matthew 6, verse 16. Jesus says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Matthew 6. So two observations. The first one which is much longer than the second one. So if you're worried about that, the first one's much longer than the second. Here's the first. Proper Christian fasting is self-denial in secret to help grow appetite for God. Proper Christian fasting is self-denial in secret to help grow appetite for God. Verse 16 begins, when you fast, and again, like we saw with the earlier topics of, of giving and praying, this is not a command to fast, it's instruction about how to fast when we do. Fasting was very familiar, a very public and common part of the cultural and religious life of Jesus' first listeners. The Old Testament, in fact, the law of Moses, commands fasting. But only on one important holiday, on the Day of Atonement. On the exact day that the sacrifice was offered to atone for the sin of the people for that year, on that day, They were commanded to fast, to afflict themselves, some translations say, to deny themselves all food, which is very much the opposite of how a lot of the other holidays were celebrated. A lot of the holidays circled around feasts of celebrations. This is kind of different. And in that, you can see something of what fasting is about, self-denial, humility before God, sober-minded repentance over sin kind of put that together and it gives you some idea. That there's something of self-denial and humility, something of a saying of there's something not right here, some problem here, and I want to I step away, set some things aside that I normally partake in and come to you, God. That's something of what it was about in the Old Testament, but only that one place commands it. Just there. And in fact, all the rest of the Bible Still this that one place. The New Testament doesn't touch on commanding. It doesn't touch on it in a commanding way. Just one place. That being said, it did happen a lot in the Old Testament. As you read through, you can find, read about lots of times when the people were recorded as fasting, when they set aside national fast days and they observed things. Usually it was keeping somehow or another in that idea of the Day of Atonement that flavor, there was some sort of national crisis, some sort of a problem, some sort of mourning over sin, a decision that needed to be made. In those serious moments, people fasted as a way of physically setting aside distractions so that their minds and hearts could get to a right spiritual place and bring this predicament, this this issue that they had before God. That was the intention. And as such, that was a good thing. An act of righteousness, to use the language of one here. But it was perverted even in the Old Testament. And by the time of Jesus, the Pharisees were very well known as people who fasted twice every week, every Monday and Thursday, religiously. And how could you tell? Well, because they were sure to let you know. It was obvious, if not quite because they you know, wore full-on sackcloth and ashes, they walked the streets on those two days. Every week they walked the streets in some way dressing in some unkempt way. Dour looks on their faces. Maybe they didn't shower and shave that day. or they, they, they wore deliberately lowly clothing. They, in some way they, they carried on this act of religious theater. Looking down and out and lowly and mourning because that's how holy people are supposed to look. And I sure hope people are looking. Pharisaical fasting. Twice every week, right in front of everybody. When you fast, don't do it like that. Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites do, says Jesus. And you recall, this is hypocritical because what... The appearance is, is I'm doing something that's, that's Godward, that's, that's about my desiring to commune with God. But in fact, what it is, is I'm desiring, I'm doing this so that my fasting may be seen by others. Middle of verse 16, seen by and praised by others. That's the goal, in fact. And Jesus says, well, they will get what they are after. That will happen, and that is all that will happen. Seen the same warning three times now. Don't do it in front of others. You'll get what you're looking for, and that's it. And by now, it's pretty easy to shake your heads at that. It's also pretty easy to shake your heads at the image of the Pharisees. You kind of wonder, like, how do they live with themselves doing that? It's so fake. Okay. Yeah. So let's circle back around that and I think perhaps we might pause there and ask a few questions of ourselves just to check. I highly doubt that we are exactly guilty of this very thing mostly because we don't fast. But are there other ways, just check yourself here, just you, Are there other ways that you act or you speak, you carry yourself in some way that is desiring to make it look like you are that holy person that the community respects? We've talked about it before. Maybe it's a certain way that you adopt a a, a language in prayer. Maybe it's a way you hold up your hands just so, or don't hold up your hands just so, when we're in praise and worship here. Maybe it's the clothes you wear or that you don't wear, movies you see or the ones you don't. Maybe it's the, the famous Christian guy podcast that you listen to and let everybody know you listen to. The quiet time and the lessons God taught you in it that you're sure to let everybody else know that God met you and taught you every day, deeply. Maybe it's the fabulous witnessing opportunities you had again and again and again and again. And you let people know because you want to know that they know you, you witness. It, it could be anything. Jesus brings up three things here in particular. But really, it's kind of like that one and that one and that one. Those are common ones in my world. What's it in, what's it in our world? What's it here for us? It's worth checking because not only is it wrong, but It's fruitless. You will get public acclaim, and that's it, nothing else. Proper Christian fasting is not like that. And for the record, fasting can be properly Christian. And maybe some of us wonder about this. There is, there is a certain little thread in, in Christianity that kind of actually questions the whole thing of fasting because the final sacrifice of atonement has been offered at the cross. You understand what's going on? The Day of Atonement is not that um, the people somehow pay for some little thing and after we've done what we can, then God finishes it off the rest with that lamb that's killed. It's instead of you, I will work to save for this year and for this year and for this year and for this year. Well, the final one's been offered. The Day of Atonement is over. And it's never going to be observed ever again, ever. Jesus' sacrifice at the cross finished the day of atonement. And so if fasting was commanded only on that one day, and actually that, not anywhere else is it commanded, commanded only on that one day, well, then isn't fasting also over? And shouldn't we not fast? People ask that and wonder. But Jesus seems to assume we will. Right here, when you fast... And in chapter 9, when it comes up again, he assumes again, not just his Jewish followers who were kind of used to it from their culture, but everybody between his departure and his second coming. That's all of us. All of us will fast. He assumes it again in chapter 9. That's going to happen. So though it's not commanded anywhere, not a requirement of it, it's not a binding law, it's Christian and can be and should be done properly as a good and wise Helpful practice. Done, this is his main point, done privately in secret, which means necessarily then by one's own personal choice, done when and how you choose. Because nobody else knows. And God does not command how. It's up to you. We're going to keep it that way too because we're going to anoint our heads and wash our faces, verse 17. What he means there is just carry on like normal. Take a shower, put on deodorant, brush your teeth, and don't go out to dinner and just order a glass of water because I'm not hungry. And raise the question of why, no, no, just keep it private. You can do that, just you and God, in secret. You choose to deny yourself the food that you would usually eat for spiritual purposes. Not for worldly purposes, not even good worldly purposes, like for health purposes or to lose weight or whatever. I mean, not anything worldly, spiritual purposes is what we're talking about, and carefully, not even spiritual purposes like, it will help me grow in self-discipline, it will help me fight the sin of gluttony. But true, those are spiritual things, those are good things, just not what we're talking about right here exactly. Christian fasting, like Jesus means here, has a different goal than just helping me grow in my self-discipline or defeat some other sin. So what is it? Now, admittedly, this is a little bit tricky because there is so little in the Bible explicitly explaining what it is. So certainly most of what I've learned about this has been some combination of reading between the lines of the, the thin biblical data, examining personal experience, and reading from other mature Christians who are better at reading between the lines and have more personal experience. And if you want to read a book about this, a, a long and good book, I can, I can recommend John Piper's book, A Hunger for God, a whole book all about fasting. But there are others. That's a good one. Uh, There are others. But basically, what it comes down to, I think, when a Christian fasts properly, in private, in secret, we are essentially choosing to set aside good gifts to make room for the giver himself. And the reason we do that is because we realize that the good gifts themselves often tend to get in the way of our communion with God directly. They tend to distract us. They tend to fill our minds. They fill our time. And they kind of spoil dinner in that sense. We very easily get overwhelmed with all that God blesses us with. And even if we do give him thanks for all of it, we often do, We're not deeply connecting with him and and focused intently on him. If you say grace at dinner, you're thinking a little bit about God and then you're mostly focused about dinner. That's how most of life works for us as we interact with all the good gifts that God gives us. And in fact, that's not just common, it's appropriate. That's how life is supposed to work by God's design, most of the time, which is why fasting is not constant. It's irregular. If you're a parent, and you give, say, a few good gifts to your kid on Christmas morning. Your parent, you give some presents on Christmas morning. You want that child to tear off all the wrapping paper, give a little shriek of joy, say thank you, give you a hug, and then start playing with the toy. That's why you gave it. That's why you thought about it, bought it, wrapped it up, and put it there. You want them to engage with it. You you kind of want the thanks and the relational connection, but then you want them to enjoy the toy. That's why it's there. But of course you know that the kid can get completely engrossed in the toy. And not say thank you, not give you a hug, Not even come away from the toy for lunch. Just wrapped up in it. We God's people can get completely wrapped up in. Engrossed with. Filled up with the good gifts that God gives us. And food especially, very pointedly fills us. And so fasting, as we we set aside the good gifts and let the absence create a hole. H-O-L-E. But the absence create a hole, create a a hunger, an appetite that you become aware of and then ask God to fill with himself in some way in particular, depending on what the need is. Fasting is saying to God and also to ourselves, whom have I in heaven but you and what on earth do I have that I desire besides you? not pot roast or pizza i set that aside and i put an empty plate out here in front of me and i ask you god to fill it with something more something that i really desire communion with you yourself god that's what i most want and that's what he's made possible that's actually the point of his whole work of redemption is not that he would give us a world full of great things and himself step into the background and disappear but that he would give us a world full of good things and that all of those good things would be used by our spirit-filled selves as pointers back to him to recognize the goodness of him. This is what he accomplished at the cross. So he removed sin off of us. He removed guilt off of us and delivered us not just into a good world, but into communion with him in the midst of a good world. And recognizing the good world can get in the way of that we say, let me set that aside and get first things first. God, a hunger and thirst for you. Will you draw near and commune with me personally? Will you draw near and speak to me your wisdom? I've got a decision in front of me that I don't know what to do. Help, show me. Will you draw near to me, commune with me personally, and remind me of your power to calm me in the midst of this threat that's coming at me? Lord, will you draw near to me and remind me of your healing abilities? Remind me that you control every atom and every molecule in my body and in the body of my loved one. A hundred different things that you might, might be the occasion, might be the the context in which you fast, but all of them in the end are about, Lord, would you draw near? Be with me. Meet with me. Show yourself to me. I need you. And I will hunger and thirst for you and remain unsatisfied until you show up come that's what a proper christian fast is saying to ourselves and in prayer to god and fasting from food gets us to that spot quite cleanly and quite obviously because of how food is both about physical hunger and physical appetite affects us physically And food is also a source of pleasure and joy and entertainment and delight. Both those things. And we use appetite in both categories on purpose. They're connected. Food's pretty unique in this regard. It pleasurably fills us in so many ways. It's a good gift from God. And to relegate it to second place, when we do that, we immediately fill the hole, we feel the appetite. Literally, we get hungry physically and emotionally, and what do you do this afternoon sometime, maybe tomorrow 10 o'clock or so, what do you do when you begin to get a little hungry, and for us in America I usually mean like just a little hungry, reach for a snack, a piece of chocolate, a donut, a piece of celery if you must. A little snack, just to just to, just to cut it. But also, check yourself. This this is where like self-examination comes into this. Also, there's it's not just that it's gonna like make the little hunger pang go away. The hunger pang was not insurmountable. I'm also a little bit. Ten o'clock is. I mean, I got that report due and like you know, I need a snack, coffee break. It's not just about this appetite. Something else going on there. You see, you get up, you move towards the snack, except now you realize, oh, oh, I'm not eating a snack today, huh? Now what? Now what? You, you've got any experience with this? You, you know what that's like. Now what? Watch yourself get fidgety right there in that spot. Generally unsettled, as you begin to discover, actually what I am orienting my morning, my day around, in fact, is not there. I rotate my day around meals, snack break time, meal, snack break time, meal, snack break time, sleep. And in the middle, I do a little bit of work. (laughs) Except now that's all gone. And watch yourself get fidgety. Unsettled. What you're habitually used to reaching for to make yourself a little bit happier, to take the edge off the hunger, both senses, is gone. And you face the question, what do I have on earth, that I desire besides you? Well, food, but not really, actually. I'm accustomed, you're discovering, I'm accustomed to cutting the hunger, to cutting the thirst with a little bit of this or a little bit of that, and it's not there, and I'm fidgety. And you're facing that question also while the calories are burning off and the blood sugar is dropping. Assuming so you're otherwise healthy and you're not diabetic, pregnant, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera medical disclaimer. That's OK. Medical disclaimer, because you're not going to die. But it can start to feel like it. You will feel weak. You will feel weaker than usual. And perhaps you will find another level of awareness. I am a flower, quickly fading. Poor in spirit. Beatitude numero uno. I'm poor in spirit. I can't go a single day without food and not feel it. I am weak. I am vulnerable what I'm used to putting into me to chase that away, I have set aside voluntarily in private. I'm the only one who knows it, God. You and me, the only ones who know it. I've set that aside voluntarily because I want to get to this spot. I knew, I knew I would get to this spot and I've come here on purpose now because I want to realize I am small. And I usually... Press that away into the background with a Snickers bar. And I'm not doing that now because I want to face it right in front of me flower quickly fading in need. And nothing on earth will cut it but you, God. I'm skipping your good gifts, which I usually partake of happily with thanksgiving. That's why you gave them to me. But I'm skipping those good gifts to get a moment of clarity here on um, this particular day that I've chosen. I want to get a moment of clarity of who I am and who you are and what my real need, when my real life is found. Speak, come near, teach me. Skipping food can get you to that place of hunger really uniquely because of what food actually is. But if you think about it, proper Christian fasting should not be only limited just to food. Some of us, for medical reasons, can't or shouldn't go without food in the first place. But even those of us who can eat, this is probably some of us here, you might discover that denying yourself food is not actually the most effective means to get at what I'm talking about here. Because For some of us, food's not really that big of a deal. Maybe you should fast from working out or from watching TV or from scrolling through the Instagram feed because for some of us, we eat food rather haphazardly on a take-it-or-leave-it basis while you're doing the thing you're really focused on. If... You're working through Tuesday morning, and the thing that's going through your morning that you're orienting your life around actually is not lunchtime because of the burrito you're going to pull out of the freezer and chuck chuck in the microwave real quick. It's because that's the 20 minutes that you get to catch up on all your TikTok videos. that's the 20 minutes that you get to scroll through all your social media stuff and catch up on all that and yeah the, the microwave is going to beep and you're going to pull it out and eat it cuz you got to refuel but really what you've been thinking about all morning and what you're going to use to satisfy the emptiness inside It's some sort of social media thing, or an update on ESPN, or maybe it's actually the real playing of sports after work, or it's maybe the alcohol you're going to drink, or the ice cream you're going to eat later, or, 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 or. Notice that about yourself. It might not just be like meals, food. There might be other things that are the good gifts that get in the way for you. Notice that. That would be the thing to set aside. That's the thing of earth that you use to tend to plug the hole. The spiritual purpose of a fast is to discover that gifts, that gifts, and what gifts tend to get in the way of the giver and then set those aside for a time. To have time and awareness of the need to seek the true God with an open, vulnerable, undistracted heart in private. That's proper Christian fasting. And when you do, God will see it, and he will reward it. He'll give you grace that is yet to come. It's grace in the future, future grace. But he will give grace. That's what takes us to the second, much shorter point. God sees and will reward our fasting. God sees and will reward our fasting. Verse 18 says to you, Christian, that your Father in heaven is not in the public places where hypocritical fasting is going on. Which, of course, doesn't mean that God's not There in some sense, he is physically present everywhere. So he is, of course, there. He's just just saying that in this performative religious theater, God's not in the audience. So he didn't see it, and he's not going to applaud it. He's in the secret place waiting to see if you will show up there. That's where he's found. And when you fast... There, in private, he sees it. Literally, of course, he notices it, but more, he sees what's going on. He sees your Christian fasting, what you're doing and why. He sees you, so to speak, the child on the floor on Christmas morning, up to your, up to your shoulders in wrapping paper and boxes and playing with a toy and playing with a toy and playing with a toy. And then you pause and say, Ah, you know, this is great. And you get up and you walk over to where he's sitting on the couch and you sit down and hang out with him for a little bit. He sees that and will reward it. Jesus' promise. And this is how to incorporate something that we said about future grace a few weeks back. This is how future grace works. Right there is the promise of Jesus. He sees and he will reward. And here's the promise of the world. If we see, we will reward. We will think of you as a holy guy and we will vote you onto this board. We will put you in this position. We will come to you for advice. We will, we will you know bow our heads a little bit when you pass by, Mr. Pharisee. We will reward you. And Jesus says, So will your father. Which one do you want? And that circles around who do you trust? Who do you trust to actually deliver? And of course, Jesus says, I'm a better bet. I'm a better bet. Why should you trust me? Why should you trust me to be your rewarder? Well, he always says, look back. Look back at the cross. See what I did for you there. See what I've done for you every day since. There's my track record. There's my resume. There's there's the evidence that I can and should be trusted for tomorrow, that you should come walk with me down this path, not into the public place, but into private, that you should seek me, because when you seek me, you will find me. I will be found by you if you knock. I will. I will. He sees your heart and sees what you're doing and sees that you don't believe for a minute that you're like manipulating God. He knows you don't think, like, because I did this, now you have to do that. He knows that you know there's no tit for tat here. But he sees that I went there on purpose. I set aside this good thing on purpose because I want you. I need you. That's what I believe. Teach me and show me. He sees all that, and he will draw near to you, Christian. That's the promise of Jesus here. His reward will be certain. Not reward, this word shows up so many times in the section, we've said it a bunch of times already, not a reward that's earned, but it's a reward that's given. He's telling you down this path, you will find treasure forevermore. God's promise is about grace to come to us in the future, which is not yet experienced future grace. I see what you need. I see what you're after. I'll give it. Come. Now, a lot of times, as I mentioned already, a lot of times our fasting is joined to some sort of a, of a question or some sort of a particular need. Fasting and praying because I, I need you to come near to me and, and fill my heart in this moment of fear it includes Probably prayers about and will you make the threat go away? I'm fasting and I'm praying because I need you to draw near to me and, and give me some guidance on this, on this massive decision that I'm facing and I don't know which way to go. Probably also includes will you show me? And here's the hard part. He might not show you At least not yet. He might not make the threat go away. Maybe not yet. You've probably heard this before, but God, God promises always to deliver us, sometimes from and sometimes through. Sometimes from and sometimes through. I surely meant deliver me from, and he may say, mm, actually no, I'm going to deliver you through. There is no cattle in the stall. The the flocks are gone. The fields are empty. You're going to be physically hungry. But I'm going to deliver you through that I will be enough. And what this promise means is that at the end of that, you will say, That's not what I meant, but that's true. I meant, please give me more cattle. And you said, no, I will be enough for you. And at the end of this, you will find that was true. Whom have I in heaven but you? What do I I desire on earth beside you? That's rhetorical because the answer is nothing. Nothing. Not cattle, not herds, not flocks, not f- fields. Now, a truckload of times he does answer in specific ways that we need to ask. A truckload of times he will give you guidance. Sometimes he will even like eliminate one of the options and make it crystal clear well, I have to go this way because I can't go that way. That happens sometimes. But part of this laying it all on the table, humble before him, and saying, like, I'm going to ask, I'm going to pray, I'm going to fast and seek, but I also release the parameters. I, I laid down the paper for you to write it, and I put the pen there also, and I step back. It's up to you. What I believe promised to me is that you will reward here and now you will commune with me and one day forever. On earth I get you and in heaven. That's what the cross provided for you. That's what's certain to you. Spiritual blessing given to you as you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's right in the middle of the beatitudes, I think, isn't it? You will be satisfied. He will reward you. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. What you need will be added to you for sure. And the end result is that you will be satisfied. You will fast and end up full. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the promise here. There is in us a, a lot that says, but Lord, I want, I want more, I need more. I need sometimes the physical things that I bring to you. I, I need my family member to turn to you. I need my job to, to be stabilized or I need my health to be corrected. I need, I need. Lord, we lift all those things before you and say, please. But in the end, we also say, your will be done. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth here in my heart as it is in heaven. That's our prayer. In the meantime, Lord, will we wait for that? Will you commune with us? Will you meet with your people here? And in some way or another, as is appropriate, when is appropriate, will you speak to each one of us about how something in this could be incorporated in our lives for deeper communion with you? So draw your people, draw us near to you, please. Thank you that you will answer, that you will fill us. You're good and kind, and we love you and trust you. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org.